0: The Watership Down podcast has reached 100 episodes. There may be extracts you have heard before. This episode is scripted and performed by the Watership Down podcast Owsler. Hello, and welcome to the Watership Down podcast episode 100, in which we'll be looking back over the first 100 episodes and picking out my favourite extracts, as well as those that have been requested by you, the listeners. I also want to wish you all a happy Chinese New Year as we enter the Year of the Rabbit. To mark this, Owsler member Jamie Clubb, who scripted episode 78 on the character of Blackovar, has re-released an episode of his podcast entitled The Way of the Rabbit Redux, which is an episode of the podcast called Jamie Clubb's Podcast on Apple Podcasts. I've listened to it, and it's a really interesting perspective on what Jamie calls The Way of the Rabbit in martial arts. This is basically about how you avoid a fight in the first place, because why fight if you can avoid it? Fascinating stuff. There will be a link in the notes to both the podcast and the YouTube version. When it comes to this week's compilation, by no means am I saying that I have found all my favourite bits of the first 100 episodes, far less all the best bits, and I apologise in advance if I didn't include yours. Also, to mark this episode, I've decided that those who listen to the podcast but have not yet been inducted into the Owsler shall be honoured with the title of The Long Ears. For those who are keen to listen, are what makes this podcast what it is and just by doing so, you make all of this worthwhile. Please, on behalf of myself and the Owlsler, accept our thanks for just finding this podcast and hearing these words. This episode has been a real test of my archiving skills, or lack of, and has prompted a lot of reorganising of my sound files, so a worthwhile exercise in itself. I've also tried to make this compilation a reflection of the emotional rollercoaster this podcast has been at times, without being too self-indulgent, which is a bit of a balancing act in a podcast with... Checks notes, only two episodes in the first 100 that feature a voice other than mine, film clips notwithstanding. Anyway, grab a mouthful of flayrah and enjoy this compilation. We begin at the beginning. And yes, just to clarify, I do have an absolute sense of cringe when I listen to the earlier episodes. Not that I'm claiming this podcast has taken off. Hello, it's Monday the 15th of March 2021, my name's Newell and welcome to the Watership Down podcast. Um, I'm new to podcasting, I'll be honest with you, if this takes off this podcast um, in future years I might listen back to this I'm recording now with an absolute sense of cringe but we'll do our best. And it starts with this wonderful phrase, and I'm not going to quote from the book a lot. I'm trying to deliberately avoid that, but this phrase, the primroses were over. Because the book ends with, and this is what I mean by framing of nature. The last line of the book is where the first primroses were beginning to bloom. So the book is literally framed, beginning and end, by nature. Which is beautiful. Hoi. Hoi, u now, you know you're a worship down geek when you can not only recite that from memory, but can also write it down from memory, which I can. Yes, I'm showing off. I'm trying to keep my non-explicit tag here, as you'll as hear. So, it's possibly a, mer- a verb meaning to defecate, which would be interesting because that would distinguish the noun for excrement, chraka, from the verb meaning to pass excrement. Now that's different in English. We have a few words, and I'll use the words I can use by keeping my um, non-explicit tag. We have words such as poo. Now in English, poo is both what you poo and the act of pooing it. I'm sorry if I'm making you laugh at the moment. But, you know, we use the same word for the verb and the noun. There are other words we use that for there in the same way, but I won't mention them here. Now, what I want to know from you linguists is, is this unique to English? Is English unique in being a language where the noun, the name of poo, is the same as the act of pooing it? Anyway, that's quite enough of poo. Um, I just first of all need to make it very very clear because of what, what I'm, communication I'm getting as a result of doing this podcast that... I'm by no means the most obsessive or knowledgeable fact of Watership Down in the world. I'm just a Watership Down fan who was first mad enough to have the crazy idea to start a podcast. And as such, I stand on the ears of giants, as it were. I had no idea until a short time ago just how rich the world of Watership Down fandom is. I'm now learning about online role-playing groups from the 90s and being sent reviews of the book when it was first published. I feel I've truly gone, yes, I'm going to say it, down the rabbit hole. Now, of course, you could you could just conclude that Cowslip's Warren has been seduced by a readily available supply of carrots. In this Marxist analysis, the local farmer represents the bourgeoisie, while the rabbits of Cowslip's Warren are the lumpen proletariat. This runs in direct opposition to the state of what Marx called primitive communism, seemingly adopted by most Warrens. But don't worry, that last bit wasn't serious. I, I just couldn't resist. Now, when it comes to Cowslip's Warren and I will avoid calling it what I should for dramatic effect so as to maintain some mystery, the comparisons I will draw will be from an altogether different kind of work. They will be from the works of H.P. Lovecraft and Joseph Conrad. One day I will finish going through the original book and will embark upon a discussion of the portrayals of the book and uh, on film and TV. At that point I'm going to have to address the tension between the originalist approach to the story and the revisionist approach. Basically, this is the tension between the view that the original book is canon and should never be changed in any portrayal of it and the view that the original source material is there to be played with, changed and expanded. This is not just about summarising the story, which is unavoidable in any film portrayal of such a long novel, but about actual changes to the story. Having said that, summary that goes too far does effectively change the story. I made the mystic colony of rabbits Welsh. I think that means a colony, the colony of the war of the swears. Uh, it's, it's a snares, rather. I made my favourite mistake yet last week when I referred to the warren of the snares as the warren of the swears. Yeah, that would make for a completely different story one where they had to leave Cal- Cowslip's warren because Fiverr has an issue with all the bad language, which is a bit rich for a rabbit who comes out with such potty mouth stuff as Embley Frith. Anyway. This week, we return to the dreaded Lost Paragraph. So, I've been crunching the data and a very simple pattern has emerged when it comes to the Lost Paragraph. The Lost Paragraph first appears in 1973 in the Puffin UK paperback. That's Puffin, the children's books division of Penguin. So my provisional conclusion, based on what I've just said, is this. The version verse first sent to Rex Collings in 1972 was missing the Lost Paragraph. Then, when Penguin became interested, they were sent a version that included it in 1973. This became the version that appeared in all their editions, both Puffin, their children's division, and Penguin. Welcome to Sandalford Warren. But now we're going to walk down the ditch. I'm not going to film all the way down. Try and get to the woods and then the River Enbourne. Now just check where I am and because... I assume the woods have diminished a little bit but strictly speaking these are the woods they go into there's a little belt of trees here, it only thickens up towards the bottom there, so it's not a very big area so I'm now going to go into the woods the ground is starting to slope downwards I wonder if we're getting towards the river this would be the woods where there was a dog loose. The Enbourne. Quite overgrown, quite silted up, really. I can't be sure if I'm at the exact place they crossed, but this is the Endborn, and over there is Hampshire. That land right there is Hampshire, the county of Hampshire, where the rest of the book takes place. Their conversations there are what decide the course of the rest of the book and I will definitely be looking for that ditch when I eventually film a site visit at Watership Down itself. It is a significant location in the story. When Hazel says that none of them would be there if it weren't for him Fiverr responds by asking if they really are on Watership Down. This is the strange opening to Fiverr talking of another country where we go when we dream and when we die. El Crera seems to have had the ability to move between the two, which will be demonstrated in later tales told during the story. Many rabbits think it is a pleasant place to be in, but Fiverr disagrees. He thinks it is wild and dangerous. And I'm very aware, like I said, that warship Down is one of my special interests. There's just something comforting about it. I mean, for a story that create, it contains so much horror, what is that? And I think it's the archetype i try to analyse this, of that harmonious Warren on that hill with a clear view of the country all around. There's just something so appealing about that. It's just a comforting place to go to despite all the things that happen to them. One of the worst moments in the book, one of the most horrendous moments, is when General Windward orders them to dig through the roof of the honeycomb and that honeycomb is, is spoilt. The, the, the roof caves in and they, they have this hole in the roof and it feels so... Horrendous to me that that wonderful space that's so well described and so loved in the book by the rabbits is, is is breached and spoiled in that way, and they say it'll eventually grow over. And I always I always find myself thinking, yeah, but how long would that take? So, a Warren run along fair and egalitarian lines is about to deliberately interfere in and disrupt life in a Warren not run in that way. And the main justification for that is that there are many unhappy females there whose lives are restricted and controlled in ways that go against their nature. If I were to replace the word females with women, would there be any situations in our world this could be applied to? On the other hand, Effafa is, as it is described, blatantly a failing state in which its own citizens in private say that the system is breaking down. It is fairly obvious that things cannot go on as they are. As it turns out, the actions of the Watership Down Warren changed things for the better in Ephrafa. but that was never part of the plan and might well not have been the outcome. In fact, let's face it, without Fiverr's psychic abilities, it would probably not have been. This episode is scripted by John Ruths and Newell Fisher, and is narrated, recorded and edited by Newell Fisher. I'll just ask you first if you could just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you came to listen to the podcast. Yeah, so my name's John Roos, and I'm from
1: uh, Colorado in the United States. Uh, I'm a member of the U.S. Armed Forces, have been for over 30 years. So I think uh, you and I
0: are generational contemporaries. And I ran across your podcast just by looking it up on my iPhone. I saw that I had this, I had some, and I, I had a podcast thing that uh, that appeared. And and I thought, well, let me see if I can find a podcast on Watership Down. And I did. And I think I found yours. And
1: at that point, you were already a good few chapters inside of the book. And I can tell you, I've been a listener ever since.
0: In chapter 39, which we will cover in the next episode, there is a reference to Bigwig swimming through the bridge, Fuidle. Now, this may be a real problem. Adams has obviously imagined these events taking place over the course of an English summer evening. But his mention of Fuinlay here, according to the evidence, means that Bigwig swam under the bridge at approaching sunrise the following day, as it was growing dark. With great regret, I have to conclude that Richard Adams was using the phrase Fuinlay here without really thinking it through, and that this also applied in Chapter Four. The arrival of the dog on the down could be argued to be the equivalent of the Watership Down rabbits deploying a weapon of mass destruction on their enemies. After humans, are domesticated dogs the worst of all a lil? a fox or certainly a weasel would not have wrought such havoc it is a thrilling terrifying and short climax a terrible thing to happen to the afrofans but as Fiver has reasoned his warren is not to blame because to paraphrase they came here to kill them if they could wound what stand against the dog is a truly fitting climax for this monstrous remorseless magnificent rabbit Hello, and welcome to the Watership Down podcast episode 50, a bit of a milestone in itself, in which we will be looking at chapter 48, Dea Ex Machina. To mark this milestone, and because of the unique nature of this chapter, I'm going to do something a bit different. This episode is being recorded in my shrewdudu, because, why not? i am also going to try to record it in a rural hampshire accent god help me rather than my usual contemporary received pronunciation this seems to be a gentle erotic accent as it is used in a county on the eastern edge of the west country i was surprised at how little there is about it online when it comes to british accents the focus always seems to be on the extremes listening back to my attempts at a rural hampshire accent last week i think i went on a bit of a tour of most of the west country in my hoo doo i definitely spotted parts of somerset dorset and wiltshire and occasionally passed through hampshire And so, the 1972 novel, Watership Down, ends. Well, we did it. We went through the entire 1972 novel in detail, taking just short of a year. I'm not claiming for a moment that our analysis of the book was perfect, I'm certain it wasn't, and that its shortcomings will become apparent as time passes, but it is a complete detailed account of the book, and therefore a resource we are very proud of. This impressive analysis has been written by Owlsley member Andrew Stevens, to whom I am very grateful. Classical culture and history combine in the character of Bigwig. His defence of the run against the Ephraimans invites a comparison with another famous battle. During the second invasion of Greece in the Persian Wars, a coalition Greek army of perhaps 7,000 hoplites led by the Spartan king Leonidas were sent to the pass of Thermopylae to repel the considerably larger Persian army, whilst the other Allied forces prepared their defences. From book to film. This is a real change in gear for this podcast, and one that I must admit I've been looking forward to. We now move from discussion of pre-chapter quotes to mise-en-scène, from the original portrayal of characters in words to their interpretation in a script by actors and artists, from descriptions of nature to background art and music.
1: Long ago, the great Frith made the world.
0: Luckily for Bigwig, the driver doesn't fancy an easy bit of rabbit killing that day. Neither, it seems, does the driver of a red sports car, Registration WD 3231C, who immediately speeds past in the opposite direction, causing Bigwig to panic and leap about the road in a circle, ending up on the other side. He just about manages to style out this moment, as if he meant to end up there in exactly that manner. But we can see he didn't. It is truly the first cinematic moment of Bigwig buffoonery, which, to be fair, are not that common in this film. And so ends a sequence in the film that left me, at age 11, in shock when I first saw this film in 1978, to the extent that I barely even remember what came next. But we are far from finished with Holly's terrible account. I'm sorry, what now? They have arrived at the top of this perfect location for a warrant to find it already dug for them, and with a great haul an innovation that in the book they copy from the Warren of the Snares under the direction of Strawberry, and which is the pride of the new Warren dug unusually by buck rabbits. Seriously? In 1979, at the age of 12, I lost my pet dog, Leo, the golden retriever, with whom I had spent most of my life up to that point when he got out of our garden and was hit by a motorcycle. I was utterly traumatised by this loss, and Bright Eyes helped me to process my grief at such a young age. I'm recording this standing by his grave. Black stands his ground, by Jamie Club. Michael Rosen's Black of is a virtuous character that is tortured and humiliated, mutilated and mentally broken. He is then rescued, gaining newfound courage in the process. All of this is then snatched away in a matter of seconds with his savage demise. Unlike the novel, Black of appears to remain the outsider. He goes rogue by hiding away down one of the tunnels away from the rest of the rabbits. His death scene is a solitary suicide charge. At that moment, the thunder breaks overhead in a rapid set of shots that take only four seconds we see lightning coming from the right possibly symbolising woundwort then bigwig lit up by it looking almost like a ghost a view of him that is very eerie in freeze frame that i have posted to instagram then we see lightning again from the left this time possibly symbolising bigwig then bigwig closer up ready for the fight as the light on him fades. Then we see Woundwart tinged by the light, looking possibly a little less sure of himself. Then another crack of lightning, lightning from the left, this time flashing extra bright. Then Woundwart again, as he begins to draw himself to attack. And now, in the fading light of the lightning, we see Kihar, in close-up, on the north side of the arch, looking down. He turns his head, sees them, and instantly launches himself. Woundwart is rearing up, his claws ready to strike, he has the high ground, another shot of lightning, also extra bright, from the right this time, this is Woundwort's lightning, his attack will be terrible, and Kihar arrives. How to be a rabbit. So how do you play Bunnies and Burrows? Well my good friend and captain of this podcast's Owsler, John Ruth, has played RPGs many times and has provided an example of building a character for the game which I I will take you through shortly. First though, Let's go through how Rabbits are categorised in the game. In the first edition, Rabbits were defined as belonging to professions. These were Fighter, Empath, Storyteller, Seer, Herbalist, Scout, Maverick and Runner. We be- see Bigwig from the front, covered with blood, exhausted, panting but determined as he informs Woundwort that his chief has told him to defend this run. With a slight air of melodrama used to convey the significance quickly, Woundwalt looks from side to side in sudden incredulity as he says, Your chief? But there is no time here to go into the details of Woundwalt's shock at the mere idea that Bigwig, the rabbit who bested him, is not the chief. No time to try to imagine from his narrow minded perspective what Bigwig's chief might be like. The chief he has already met and let go for the results of that chief's cunning have just arrived on Watership Down.
1: All the world will be your enemy. Prince with a thousand enemies. Well,
0: we did it. Again. We went through the entire 1978 film in detail, taking just over seven months as opposed to the year it took to go through the book. And what's more, we got to this point during November 2022, which is the 50th anniversary of the publication of the original novel.
1: Well, my name is Sean Hagens, and I think I, I, uh, I asked you, I'm like, have you ever heard of the Australian radio quiet? Yeah. And you're like, no, uh, because it was, um, it was at least in the Commonwealth um, on cassette. And that was like 40 years ago. It came out in 1984. So I think it yeah. was released in the 1985 website. I mean, I've
0: actually been in touch with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation to say, can you release this, please? Where can I listen to this? And they've said, right. we can't afford the copyright payment. We're not prepared to pay out copyright payments to actors so to fair. release it, so we can't release it. I mean, I've got lots of theories about different versions being influenced by different versions. I think, for example, the Netflix version was very influenced by the TV series because the ch- people who right. made it, the people who made it would have been watching the TV series it would have been at the right age to watch the TV series when they were children. Before we go any further, let's address the Lendry in the honeycomb with regard to this book. It is probably fair to say that the number of people who, who love the original 1972 novel but dislike Tales from Watership Down is a lot higher than those who feel the opposite. For we are now very firmly in revisionist territory. It is a very different book to the original novel, to the extent that I hesitate to even call it a sequel, now that I'm getting down to the business of looking at it in detail. Leah McKayla on the Tales of Ella Crera It seems to me that especially in the first part of Tales from Watership Down, the stories are written to formulas that have been inspired by some theories on folklore. In Watership Down, the mythological stories of El Ahrara were more literary, but their influence on the life of characters and how the life of the characters turned in the stories seems to have taken inspiration from folklore and theories of it. So there we have it. That was a summary of the first 100 episodes. Well, if we're being pedantic the first 99, but when have I ever been pedantic? don't answer that. Next, I've received a voice message from Javier Ramos in Melbourne, Australia to mark this 100th episode. Javier's words appeared in episode 90 and were very poignant, reflecting just how much a niche podcast such as this one can come to mean for those who listen to it.
1: Over to you, Javier. Congratulations on the 100th episode of this wonderful podcast, uh, one of my favourite books of all time, um, thank you, Neil, for the passion, the time, the effort that you put into this. Um, I absolutely um, appreciate and are grateful for the deep diving, the an- analysis that you've put, your thoughts, the other contributors' thoughts. It's, it's so comforting to see a community that share this passion and love. These rabbits, this story um, has being a big part of my life for many years i see myself in so many of the characters and and aspire to be like them um and i just wanted to say thank you i um, look forward to the coming episodes and to see what you have in store for us um yeah all the way from melbourne australia thank you very much bye
0: thank you for those comments javier and it's good to hear your voice I've had another message from Liam Wiles.
1: Hey, Neil, hope all's well. Uh, my name's Liam. I'm originally from the northeast of England, but I currently live in Western Australia. I've lived here for about 10 years. I uh, just wanted to message through and say I absolutely love the podcast, love the work you're doing. Um, I've listened through probably 10 times in total. I just can't get enough. I've just filled my boots each week with uh, Watership Down content. It's amazing. I can't get enough of it. Um, Keep up the good work and look forward to the next episode. Happy 100. And of course, long live New Ra.
0: Thank you for that, Liam. Much appreciated. As Ben Kenobi once said, now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. Or ever, in my case and I take it in the spirit in which it's intended. Welcome to the Owsler. And to all listeners and contributors, or rather, long ears and owsler, can I just say thank you, from the bottom of my heart, for your time and support over the last 100 episodes. This podcast has come a long way since that boring March afternoon during lockdown. Here's to the next 100. Finally, the last word must go to Lily. You may remember that episode 29 on death in Watership Down was inspired, is that the word, by the very sad loss of one of our cats, Ellie, in 2021. Well, her effective replacement, a beautiful black girl cat called Lily, is now a very much loved member of our family and also features in the only outtake I've bothered keeping for just such an occasion as this. It sums up perfectly the frustrations of recording a podcast in a domestic setting, only in a very cute way. So I present for your consideration the first contribution to this podcast ever by a member of the Illil. Shush Next time, as we continue with Tales from Watership Down, we meet a rabbit ghost. <laughs>